Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody. Welcome to West Point, Mississippi, home of the Mossy Oak uh, brand camo, the Gamekeeper podcast, which we're going to start saying is the heart and soul of wildlife conservation. I like it. That's well, bold. That is bold. It is. Well, well we've always said that Gamekeepers is the official brand of It's wildlife. the heart and soul of my wildlife conservation, yeah, so we'll go from there and work out. You can't just change the brand position, though. I mean, it's, it's, the, you know, well, it's the official brand of wildlife. And, and, and well, we're we're just going off. Okay. We'll talk about this later, yeah. but I want to add wildlife conservation yeah, in there okay. as well. So. Y'all are talking over my head. It's yeah. not, they're it's they're doing what they do best, Dudley: bickering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an everyday do. occurrence here. Yeah. Well, look, today is going to be a, a, a. I've been dreaming about having this guy as a guest since no we started. Doubt. Man, Chris Paradise, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, Why would you dream about that? Give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> so. Our Must guest, have been a nightmare. We've yeah. got a guest today. Before we bring him on, though, but he's known by his initials. And how many people can you, Lanny, how many people do you know that are known by their initials? <sighs> Not very many. But they're all famous. Lots of presidents, uh, POTUS, FDR, JFK, oh. Oh, LBJ. LBJ. Yeah. Throw, KVD. KVD. OJ. OJ. Well, I wouldn't have said no- that one. I'll, I wouldn't have told that one. I'll, how about, yeah. how about Eminem? M and M. Well, no, that's, that's not. not that's, that's not, actually spelled. R two D two. That's a that's good one. Hey, yeah. How about O D B? Yeah. Oh, I hear you. O D B. Did you hear that, Richie? Oh, Richie, Richie, where'd that come from? How about this? All right, guys. B C P. Yeah. B C P. Some good stuff. So look, okay. That we've had fun. Toxie's going to throw something at us in a second. Yep. Before we start going down the road, this this episode is going to be brought to us by our friends at Leopold. Nice optics and nozzler ammunition. And hey, it's guys. It's time to if you're going to sight it, you need to start thinking about sighting in your rifles. And look, y'all have got to use some of these Leopold sunglasses. Don't they forget, they make a phenomenal rangefinder too yeah, for both. Yeah, they, they, they got some good they, stuff. They, that's right. They're, they're they're just quality people. And yes, the, and the products are just unbelievable. Yep. Yeah, legendary quality. And that so the the nozzle ammunition you can go on their website and it, it they've got a custom shop so if you like shooting a twenty five alt six and one hundred seventeen grain uh, nozzle partition they got it okay it's Leopold and nozzle they kind of go together like peas and carrots they really do they forest big time American brands they've got you know just solid stuff that you can trust when you're iconic hunting. American brands yeah, they're they some are. of the oldest yeah, ones they there are. we're proud they they're are. associated with us yes. so. All right, so look here, guys. We are going to, today, we've got KVD. We've got Kevin Van Dam. Yes. Oh, yeah. Gamekeeper extraordinaire. There he is. Can, <laughs> can we say, is he online, Richie? Yeah. I'm here, guys. There he Just is. Listen. Wow, he speaks. He's been here. Just listening to all the riffraff in the background. There is a lot of that around That's here. a great <laughs> description, Kevin. Well, speaking of riffraff, we've also got Chris Paradise nah. in, in the background. <laughs> uh, you could include that. in the riffraff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Include that in the riffraff. I'm honored to be included with this riffraff. Yeah, he is oh, first-team all-conference riffraff, yeah, if is. I'm not mistaken. He's right in the club with us, that's for sure. You know, it's hard to introduce Kevin because I think everybody, I'm assuming most people know who he is. He's won the Bassmaster Classic four times. He's seven-time Angler of the Year. He's won more money than anybody you else. You need to be careful quoting his wins in a tournament because he's liable to have won another that's one exactly since right. you looked well, it up. That's so. very true. 
But after all reading all these accomplishments, the first thing I want to ask him is, how does this, how's your clover looking this year? Yeah, that's right. Right. He's that's a right. big gamekeeper. That's probably what he'd rather talk about, too, if I had my guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's that it's that time of year right now for us to uh, to get everything in the ground for fall food plots. So it's I'm I'm actually packing. Um, I got to leave in the morning for a tournament uh, in New York, and um, you know I've got a couple friends that are helping me out a little bit and getting some stuff tilled and that. But we're going to be trying to have everything in the ground, all that biologic, uh, in the next week or so. We getting wow. some chance for some rain. So hopefully, I mean, it's been a it's been kind of a dry summer so sure my has. spring stuff is not great i think that's the sentiments across the yeah, south you know it's these guys that li- live in the far north they've they've really got to get started a lot earlier oh, than crazy. we even think oh, about yeah there's yeah. people in yeah. canada starting in june yeah i'm just now planting waterfowl stuff in yeah. a lot of cases yeah well the corn was earlier but like our millets we're just now starting yeah just now thinking about it really so i've done a little research on on kevin's gamekeeping ability but what the the first thing that jumped out at me he's 10 years old and he kills a deer with a bow hey now laney what were you doing you when you were 10 years old you were watching cartoons i was shooting a bow but uh i I wasn't i wasn't connecting in the garden or something i wasn't connecting that's pretty impressive about 30 minutes in the deer stand and i was watching cartoons so you started early (laughs) yeah you know in michigan when I was a kid, you had to be 10 before you could get a deer license. They wow. made you wait. So it's not like in the South where you can hunt it, you know, whatever age, you know, but you had to have hunter safety. And, um, you know, so, I mean, I waited to my 10th birthday to be able to get that, you know, I had hunter safety to be able to get a tag and to be able to hunt my first season. And I couldn't, so October 14th is my birthday. Wow. I couldn't even start hunting until October 14th, which our season opens up here on the first. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was ate up at, you know, with, I've been ate up with the outdoors my whole life. You know, I, my dad took me pheasant and rabbit hunting as a kid. I, I was actually, I was the beagle. Now, I know all about that. Video. I still am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send, send you into the into the briar patches, you know, to try to kick them out. But um, you know, I I got a pretty good taste of it early on, and just you know, something that I always wanted to do. So, yeah, it was ten for uh, bow hunting, and you had to be fourteen to hunt with a firearm in Michigan. So those were things that milestones that I really had to wait for, and you know, year after year, watching my older brother get to go and not getting to go, and but. Uh, uh, I, I basically had a really close friend of mine and we lived it every day. I mean, I I've been planting food plots for, oh man, you know, since I was a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. we, we learned about it before it was even anybody really knew anything about it. And we were just trying to make it a little bit easier to get a deer close to you, you know, oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's a lot so. different now, you know, I've learned, man, I've learned a lot over the years. So Kevin, have you gone through the whole, uh, what we call the, the phases of a hunter where you eventually, oh, yeah. 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 So can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah. You know, so when I was a kid, I wanted to hunt anything and shoot everything you could shoot your limit. You know, I mean, when I first started deer hunting, it didn't take me long till, you know, we were a four buck state. You could shoot two with two bucks with a bow, two bucks with a gun. And I shot my four bucks every year. I don't care if they were spikes, if it had bone on its head, Going we shot down. Them. I mean, we, we just, that's, <laughs> that's just how it was. And yeah. back then, you didn't shoot does. It was bad, you know, just bad karma. Nobody, nobody hunted does. Oh, I mean, nobody knew about yeah. management. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just the way that it was. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, after a handful of years of that, you learn, well, you know, I want to try to hold out for, you know, you don't want your season to be over so quick. So you want to hold out for some little bit bigger deer. And then with all my friends, you know, the, the, the trophy pressure kind of changed and it, it honestly, it took a lot of the fun out of hunting, over time. And, um, you know, after I got married and, um, uh, I started to have my boys, it, it totally changed again. And, and that's when, you know, I learned about, um, you know, more about management and it's more about age structure. And, and then it's, it's more about just the hunting and that it's, it's all, you know, the full habitat. And that's the biggest thing is like early on, I told you, I've been planting food plots for a really long time, but what I learned early on is that, it's there's way more to it. I mean, food is critical, right? If you, if you have great food, it's, it's good, but more importantly, especially where I live here in Southern Michigan, we've got a lot of, you know, a lot of small tracts of land, you know, having the security cover and, you know, 
places where they feel safe and water and all the other things. It's way more important. If you want to shoot an older age class deer, that's way more important than the food. But when you put them all together, that's, that's when the magic happens. So we, you know, we do it all. We manage the timber, we manage, um, you know, the fringe habitat and, you know, we're, we're not just for deer. It's, it's turkeys, ducks, squirrels, um, you know, everything, you know, you're, you're really benefiting everything. Obviously deer and turkeys are at the top of our list, but you know, we're, we're trapping, trapping coons and hunting coyotes at night. And, you know, you, wow. and you hit those key times when the fawns are dropping or when the turkeys are nesting to do it. And, uh, and it, it just over, you start to see the rewards of that. And to me, that's what really makes it fun. I, I don't get the time to spend that I need in a, in a bow stand to, you know, consistently kill trophy bucks around me because you just, I just am busy. Right. But it's all the other things that make it fun. I mean, yes. trail, you know, running trail cameras and, um, you know, getting in the tractor and, or getting in my skid steer and knock it. I mean, I, my favorite, one of my favorite things to do is get in my skid steer and go in the woods and just knock stuff over. <laughs> <laughs> I understand completely. It works great. You resemble that. I resemble yeah. all of them <laughs> from when yeah, it started. You should see the front of my front end loader on, on my tractor. Oh, it is. I, I can, I can, I mean, if there's a piece of equipment that I can, you know, can say, say they can't be tore up, just let me have it. Yeah. The yeah I really resemble that remark. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. Yep. Especially lately. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Dudley, have no, you got a question you want to start well, with? Well, I mean, I, I've got a bunch, but uh, what, what are some new habitat things you've kind of gotten into or learned about that, that you've been implementing at your farm? You know, is, is there some new technique you've been having fun yeah. with? Well, I'll tell you probably the, one of the most successful things um, that's helped me to get uh, some bigger bucks to feel comfortable and hang around because in Michigan, again, and I'm, I've got a, you know, a, a pretty decent size tract of land for here. I've got a, a, a 325 acre contiguous piece. Wow. It's split by a road, but that, and I'm one of the biggest landowners around, you know, so a lot of people have, you know, 20 acres or 10 acres or 40 acres. And so one of the things we learned early on is that if you go into some of these uh, areas that just don't have a lot of, uh, you know, value to wildlife, you know, it's uh, soft maple or, you know, open, open woods and just drop some of those junk trees, just hinge cut them. And, or if they're bigger, older, just drop them all in a tangled pile and try to get them all in there. And so we do a lot of these little like two acre, one acre size clear cuts where we just try to get everything going the same direction in a tangled mess that you can't walk through, you can't see through or anything like that. And then try to use them as almost um, dot connectors through the property where Mm. you got a string of them. And those those does like to bet around them. Those bucks like to bet them. And and during the rut, they'll cruise between them. And, uh, you know, that way you can always find uh, a, you know, a good access point between them where you're not bumping deer. That that's the two most important things is give them, give them security cover that you don't go into and you can do it in small little spots like that, and then have a way in and out, um, where they don't know you're coming or going, you know, we, we blow, we go in with a leaf blower and blow our trails in the, in the fall. So I can get in and out of the woods quietly. You know, wow. You think yeah. that's, serious that's a good there. tip yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Actually. You have to do, you have to be you know, you got to be pretty sneaky because they do not top. They're used to being around people, you know, a a deer that's a deer that's four years old here has been through the war. Um, They just have, it's just the nature of of what it is. It's not like some places in Illinois or Kansas or Iowa, where there's, there's, there's a lot of people around, but they do not tolerate any, um, you know, intrusion, intrusion into their bedroom or into their core habit there. Yeah. You can, they're around people and roads and cars and things, but boy, if you get, if you bump them out of their uh, bedding area, it's you'll, they'll be nocturnal forever. So it's, Mm. uh, so it sounds like you're surrounded by a lot of smaller landowners and, so on your your property, as you go into the season, you probably identify a few bucks. But when the rut starts, are they? Do you have to worry about losing them? Yeah, the, you know my my best opportunities are typically the beginning of October in the first part of the season when they're still kind of on that you know right. summer pattern almost or that early fall pattern where their their core area is real small. Once 
when they rut and they start traveling, that's when, um, you know, they're going to go to the neighbors and, and have a chance at, at getting killed. And people are so much more efficient now. I mean, our equipment's gotten so much better. I mean, bows and in Michigan, you know, the youth season starts in September. Bow season opens October 1st. They legalized crossbows a few years ago. And to me, that's a, uh, I, I'm not a fan of that. It just, there's, um, it's, it's basically gun season from October 1st into January here in Michigan. And, uh, they just, they have a hard time, uh, getting a deer to be, you know, five years old, you know, we're, we're primarily hunting three and four year old deer. Um, and that's just the, the reality of, of what we have. If we get lucky and can get a five-year-old or a, one that gets a little older than that, you can have some, we can, we can have some tremendous deer. And, and Chris has been, you know, he's been to my place a handful of times. We turkey on every spring. I, I do have, you know, the one thing we do really have, we're real blessed with here is everything geographically and, you know, farm field wise and cover wise, we've, we've got great Turkey habitat and we've learned how to really uh, use Careful. some of our management prejudice. Yeah, I know. Well, hey, isn't it funny how, how Chris has never mentioned yeah, anything about this? Yeah. Not a word. It's just there's a reason. I go up he to Kevin. He talks about the deer and the ducks, but it's but like radio Christine Turkey Farm up there. Yeah. Hey, let's not sugarcoat it, okay? First of all, that's true. But I will say, all, all kidding aside, uh, you know, we see a lot going on with the the – Changes in the turkey population state by state. We don't need to get all the debate on that right now. But what I, what I have seen is I've been going to Kevin's now for a few years, like you said. Uh, the amount of work he puts in, predator control, management, uh, on all those places. It, it, I have seen a direct correlation. I'm tired of him sending videos about every morning of 20. I, this is no joke. 20 poles here, 30 poles here, wow. five over here, and then eight, eight more run into the picture as he's driving around his farms. But And I, I truly believe this, that uh, he has made such a difference of management, and, and his properties are very similar to the ones we have here. They're not giant tracks. You have to be careful. Human intrusion is, is important. But I will tell you uh, what we have seen there alone, Kevin, is spectacular just in the turkeys that we're seeing already this spring. That's You're doing something right. That's good yeah, news. It's, it's rewarding. You know, so, I, I will say we, we, we talk about it at nauseum here. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> even probably too much, of, you know, the hats, the hats, the poults, the situation nationally that's, you know, all the people I hear of that, most of the people I say that, or people that are taking matters into their own hands like mm-hmm. Kevin does. So right. you see, like the other day I saw a picture of someone had a video, David Hawley sent one of, you know, um, I don't know, looked like three or four hens. It must have been 20 or 30 poults. It was just incredible. And it was somebody that I know, and they intensively managed for habitat right. and predators. Mm. Yeah, you Lanny, know. you got a question? Yeah, I was going to ask Kevin, just, you know, since we're talking about turkeys, Kevin, uh, what, uh, probably what is the one practice you've seen to have the most impact on that? Is it would be nest well, predator management, or is it is it uh, burning and habitat or successional habitat? So, yeah, we. So I don't. I have never. I you know I've watched all the stuff that you guys do in controlled burns and things like that. It's almost not an option up here. It's just you just we don't have the ability, and especially in the bottom land, to be able to make fire breaks or anything like mm-hmm. that to uh, to be able to do it where or to keep it off you know from jumping to your neighbor's property or things like that. So I would, I would love to be able to burn some areas. Um, but I've never done that. The one thing that I learned kind of, and I learned it really by accident in in managing some of these, you know, cleaning up some of the food plots and things like that is I just always push some of that stuff into brush piles. Right. Mm -hmm. And put, if you have a lot of brush piles around the edge and you got good fringe cover where those turkeys can get in there and nest. And I, Again, I learned it by accident in the fact that walking around mushroom hunting in the spring or whatever like that, and all of a sudden a, a turkey, a hen goes blowing out of a brush pile that you put there. So we do a lot of those around the edges of the food plots and the fields and things like that so that the turkeys have a good place to keep hidden from the raccoons. And then it is, got to work on, I mean, those coons and possums for sure, but especially coons you got to work them over and we do it, you know, right in, right in that early season before uh, the turkeys actually start nesting. So, mm-hmm. 
you can, uh, you can, you can hunt them, you know, with a thermo or something like that. That's a super effective way to do it at night. You can walk around the woods, just, uh, do a couple of coyote howls and, and start, uh, you know, thermal in the trees and you'll find all kinds of coons in a hurry that way. Or those dog proof coon traps are just, uh, it, to me, awesome. it's, it's the perfect Highly scenario productive. because you, you don't have to worry about catching, um, you know, the neighbor's dog or anything like that. There's a lot of, you know, potentially people, you know, you just never know when that's going to happen, but they're really efficient. Put a little, a few marshmallows in there with some, uh, strawberry or grape jam in the bottom of it. That, that and you can use some coon lure too, but hey, uh, sounds like good coon lure. Sounds delicious. Yeah, it works. <laughs> it works really well. And again, that timing is critical. So we we do hit them in the fall, but you you just really it's so critical to do it right then. I think as fast as you can trap them out because other people aren't doing it. There's new right. ones moving in, mm-hmm. so you give them that couple of weeks, and it makes all the difference. So really intense trapping yeah. in early spring. Now, look, I have to say he's. I just kind of reviewed the one fiction to come out with Dr. Chamberlain and he's almost textbook what Dr. Chamberlain yeah, talked exactly about what he said. almost verbatim and he hadn't even seen it yet right I no, mean so exactly one of the things I would point out for people in the nesting habitat because it is even Dr. Chamberlain said it's very uh kind of tricky it's kind of ironic you know they need to be completely hidden and they need to see really good well he just talked about how, how he created nesting but at the edge of the field, so it fit that criteria because you know hens that are in just a dense. Hello, Chris. Uh, Chris Paradise. I know that quite. Biggity, anywhere. biggity, biggity. <laughs> if they're in such a thick area that they can't see anything coming, then you know they're going to get probably the hen or she may get eaten by something. Right. So that Ambush. was one thing, and then he talked about the second thing. Doctor Shameless said, if, you know, consistently. Trapping, not just like tickle it. If you're going to trap, get real serious about it. But he said, be sure you do it right it before and during before the beginning of the nesting season. season. Mm-hmm. And Kevin reiterated that perfectly. Because you can wipe the place clean of nest predators, and it'll be right back in there in a couple of months. Right. And if you don't have good habitat to go along <laughs> with the predator management, right. you know, yep. like he's talking about yep. with the early successional stuff and so putting the tops down. That's something people could do. We don't actually – because we've talked about it a lot with some of the smartest people that are ever walked about it. But how do we, you know, you almost have to be on somebody's place to help them prescribe what they would do with what Kevin just talked about. Anybody could do. So simple. I'm going to bet you his deer bedding spots, which I love because it's postage stamp yes, stuff. Yes, like patchwork. Yeah, patchwork. I yeah. use that word yeah, all the yeah. time. But I'll bet you that's adding some hen nesting. I would think For so. Sure. Too. And but he's done it adjacent to the openings in the fields. And I'll bet you anything. That's one reason why it's been you know, so good. Hey, Bobby. Yeah. One, one point to make, too, and I, I think it's important. Kevin's terrain and location, very similar to ours in Ohio. We, we don't have these giant tracks, 800,000 acre farms. I mean, Kev, we looked at a few of those that some of your big farmer friends have. But the, the general scope of land is is in that mid-tier range. Well, when I, you know, around here in Toxie, you've been here, mm-hmm. uh, you've seen how we have to hunt our turkeys. We, we talk about access, human intrusion, and I'll never forget the first time I hunted with Kevin. It was like, it was like being at home because he has access points and we go in a certain way. Uh, he knows every rolling hill, every creek bottom, how to get through it. And, and the one thing that really made an impression on me is if, if we got to an area and the turkeys weren't working, we backed out. There was no need to push them. And he's got so much access in different places to go that we never really move those turkeys anywhere off the property. And I think that's a good management practice we all got to think about because, yeah, if you've got a thousand acres and you bump one, maybe he stays in the thousand. If you've got, you know, an 80 acre piece that we're hunting, you can quickly move that turkey to your neighbors and mm-hmm. God knows what happens after that. Mm. You know, with these smaller tracts of land, though, we talk about losing bucks, but. I guess at the same token, you probably end up seeing bucks during the rut that that's you've right. never known them. Known yeah, about. Sure, so, show up. Somebody, you know, quote unquote, somebody yeah. else's. Just have to. Hope well, that's neighbors have the similar interests you do. Well, that's that's the key. Is you know, um, basically, once the rut comes, we don't intrude into any of our core areas at all. Any any of the cover, we hunt the edges, hunt the you know the food plots and and things like that because. I've got tons of does, right? If you've got the right habitat, we're planting, uh, you know, a whole smorgasbord of biologic, you know, I mean, I've got uh, non-typical clover. Oh, that's the, that's the standard, right? That is mm-hmm. something you, no you doubt. have to have all the time. That's, that's 
that is the foundational piece of all my food plots. And then brassicas are another key factor. And then on that, you know, I'm, I'm mixing it up with, you know, some outfitters blend, um, you know, some last bite, some deer radishes. I want it to be like when they go to the Outback Steakhouse, there's, Man, you can have a great salad, and you can get right. steak, you have some chicken. Yeah, you said it's smorgasbord. Like a preacher. Yeah, right that's here. right, man. You're making me hungry. You know, it's a super salad bar. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. That's exactly well, right. And that, the other thing is, is, you know, my soil and, and a lot of, and some of my places is, is not real good. So I've learned through experimentation that, you know, it, what works for me may not work for, you know, a buddy of mine or, or whatever, based on, you know, if mine's sandy, his has got clay, whatever it is. So that's where mixing it up has really helped. So, uh, you know, I plant like winter bulbs and sugar beets is that is my number two, right? Mm-hmm. That just provides a ton of forage, but like, I'm going to plant uh, maximum side by side and all my plots this year with that to see what they like better. Cause I've had several friends and several other people tell me how much they love that as well. So I'm going to, you know, instead of mixing them or anything like that, I'm going to, you know, what I, if I was going to plant two acres here, I'm going to plant an acre of each next to each other and, and be able to watch which side the deer, you know, yeah, standing so in and eating. That, that's I'm smart. A, yeah, I'm going to predict that's, right now. keeping, man. If he's got a lot of phosphorus in his soil or an adequate amount, they're going to just destroy that. See, he, he, he's mm-hmm. analytical. Well, he's used to trying I, to figure out fish. and try, he's, he's, he's figuring out Yeah, but he's not form. theoretical. He's going by his own practice. You know, he's been doing it for yeah. so long. I've learned most of the stuff I have by screwing up, you know, and, you know, because you've <laughs> yeah. done it long enough, you see what not to do too. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. So I look forward to the gamekeeper magazine every month. There's a lot of great information in there, but what works for you in Mississippi is different in Michigan yep. and Ohio and, and other areas. And, but I, but I have learned that, you know, you, you apply this, you try different things. Um, so like, you know, when I first started playing brassicas, everybody said, well, they don't touch them until after the first frost or whatever. Well, let me tell you, we're at my farm. They, the second they come out of the ground yep. till then the last bulb is gone, they eat those winter bulbs and sugar beets start to finish. Mm. I can't keep them out of it. So I learned real quick that you can't go and plant a half acre and have anything. You got to, you know, I, I, I learned that eat the that hard way. Bag. So my first year I planted five acres and, you know, I, they ended up being waist tall and Wow. I had deer in them from start to finish, you know, wow. with bulbs the size of softballs. So yeah, once you um, get enough growth, then they can withstand the browse. Yeah. But that first two, three, four weeks is yeah. critical. Because people talk about how they don't graze something right when it comes out of the ground, and I'm like, isn't that that'd be great for me? Yeah, you know, get a little, get it established. Yeah. Well, some and, of our blends are built that way, so they eat the wheat. First. That, that's right. right. Yeah, it's exactly. I tell you what, I'm fascinated listening to him. Ke- Kevin. We. I wanted to learn a little bit more about you. We've been watching you from afar, and oh gosh. we've just—you've been—you've been fascinating. Uh, you really are an interesting guy. So I asked Dudley to come up with some questions, just so you would just say, you know, he's going to ask choice you something. Thing? Yeah. So yeah. just let's just run through it real quick. Have you? I think you'll enjoy this, Kevin. All right. So this is going to be real quick. All right. Um, so just fire right back. Uh, I'm going to give you two options each time. And uh, you just let me know. It's it's mostly hunting related or outdoorsman related. So you're are you ready? Okay. All right. Fried or scrambled? Fried. Deer or turkey? Uh, deer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. That's a tough one. Crankbaits or plastics? Crankbaits. Slate call or box? Slate call. Uh Antlers, typical versus non-typical. Non-typical all the way. Ginger or Marianne? First <laughs> uh, Sherry. Gin- ginger. Pass. The movie star. Bait cast or spin cast? Uh, bait cast. Large mouth or small mouth? Small mouth. Uh, yep. Yep. Footholds or dog proofs? I didn't hear that. You broke up uh, on that one. Footholds or dog-proof traps? Uh, I got both, but dog-proofs. Sushi or no sushi? I like sushi. All right. Mechanical versus fixed blade? Mechanical. Shotgun or twenty-two for squirrels? Twenty-two. Sweet cornbread or regular cornbread? Ooh, sweet cornbread. <laughs> Vainis or sardines? <laughs> 
Sardines. A <laughs> uh, couple more. Hinge cut or hack and squirt? Hinge cut. Oatmeal or grits? Oatmeal. Oh, uh, my goodness. Hey, that was a pretty long list. That's a good job, Kevin. <laughs> Tremendous job. That's that awesome. was good. That was good. I, I've never figured out grits. <laughs> you got to put your fried eggs on. A, That's the key well, to it's it. A, it's a Mason Dixon thing. Yeah. yeah. Just one, I grew, it is. You're so well traveled, so it really could have gone either way. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've got some friends up north that love grits. And My favorite was the deer turkey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that hit him. That was awesome. Did you hear the background noise? Yeah. He yeah. paws, he paws, he finally, uh, deer, and you can hear Chris going, no. <laughs> oh, the the, the bad problem fun. for me with the, uh, and you guys travel all over turkey hunting, but I mean, spring as a professional angler, that's, that's our busiest time. Yeah. You know, we've got time to go to work and, and turkey season. Um, and we're just a one bird state in Michigan. And like, again, Chris has been here and, you know, I probably got enough ground where we could easily do that, but gosh, it's just like, I wait every year. I've been, you know, watching these turkeys, watching, watching, and then he'll come into town with Walt and we'll film this stuff and we're done. And, you know, one morning, you know, I mean, we we, we, we try to hold off, but it's it's terrible. Wow. We can't do it. Oh, yeah. terrible. That's a tough, it sounds terrible. Tough problem to have. <laughs> yeah. Well, the day uh, the day you have opening, you're welcome to come migrate south. Chris, yeah. knows, Chris knows the way. I promise you. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll figure that out eventually. One of these days. My yeah. my brother-in-law is he he is uh, he's my gamekeeper, right hand guy too. So. Him and I hunt together a lot, um, and he's he's ate up with turkey hunting. So he hunts the whole southern swing. We got a lease in Kansas. Oh, he wow. goes to Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma usually every spring on a on a little loop down there. But at, this year he didn't do that again. Just you know, I mean, a lot of the places, a lot of parts of the country, uh, you know, it's down. You know, way the population's down. Yeah, down. Oklahoma's I, way down. Yeah, yeah, they're Missouri just, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. let, let, I, I, be remiss, but Kevin, can you take just a few minutes? Let's talk ducks for a second. Big, big, you big, love big, ducks. Big, 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 big. He, he he just doesn't turkey hunt, fish, and deer hunt. <laughs> we found out that Kevin loves to waterfowl hunt as well. Do you yeah, have a spot no, on your own place? So we do. We have a uh, right next to my uh, my piece of bottomland woods that we manage for deer and turkeys is a big agricultural field Oof. and we actually um it's got a lot of ditches in it and water and we lease the the uh, waterfowl rights on that as well and you know we're not in a flyway here in michigan we don't have a lot of ducks it's uh you know i went over and hunted with chris and uh and freddie zinc this this past fall and along the you know lake erie shoreline there and it's it's unbelievable it's right amazing. so they it just because amazing. they got they got that water but we just don't have that, but where I'm at, we have a little piece of paradise there where there's, you know, three to 5,000 mallards that, that use that, uh, little, that particular area. And there's really no other option around it for neighbors to, to get on us or anything like that. Um, so it's kind of a neat little deal. Um, last year was kind of an off year for us because the, the timber ended up all being flooded right next to us. And that a lot of the ducks were in the, in the woods and that's where they were kind of hanging. And if you bust them out once, you're just, you're never going to, you know, just Mm -hmm. like, just like anything else, ducks got to have a resting area as well, Mm -hmm. as you guys know. And, but we do have a a pretty good little spot and uh, we, we try to hunt the fringes and we've had some pretty good, you know, for Michigan, you know, when you, if you can kill a limit of greenheads anywhere, it's, it's a good day, but we do it fairly consistently by only, uh, you know, trying to hunt those places once a week, you know, yeah. during that. Man, it's, during it's, that. it's a neat like spot, amazing too. How many parallels there are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think people would be surprised uh, just to put a little bit of duck habitat out there, maybe yeah. convince a couple of your neighbors to do the same. Uh, you – you really don't have to be in a flyaway like a lot of people think. No, you can get a good hunt. It just in. takes putting no. in the work, right. uh, being patient, getting them established in that area, and encouraging them to come back every year. It's, pressure, pressure, pressure. It's a blast. My, you know, it's something that my boys love to do. You know, it's uh, what I love about duck hunting is you, you, you can sit out there with friends and, and socialize. It's not like deer hunting where you got to be by yourself and whisper quiet and you can't move or mm-hmm. even, you know, I love turkey hunting for that because there's a lot of that mixed in between when you're sitting there and 
You know, a lot too, of intense so. moments. You should come yeah. deer hunting with Lanny. He, yeah, he talks and moves around. <laughs> I never sit down. Never. So, uh, Kevin, Kevin, let me ask this: we, Growing up, we've just always heard about how many hunters were in the state of Michigan, and when gun season starts, it's like an orange army up there. It's like the largest so, standing army in the world, isn't it? Does I think that's right. Mm-hmm. So, does that make it hard to try to manage a deer herd? It is, you know, here in the southern part of the state where I'm at, it's all private land tracks, you know, in the in the northern part or mid, you know, upper part where it's a lot of state land. That's where it's crazy. Right. Um, I don't want any part of any of that, but uh, it is, you know, we we do the best we can. Um, you know, technology's helped us a lot, right. With, with trail cameras and that, I mean, I, uh, Chris got me lined out with the people from Spartan and I, I got some Spartan cams last year for the first time. And I mean, geez, what a, what how a much fun changer. is that? I mean, it's so yeah. much fun. Yeah. He got yeah. The, those live, those live Spartan cameras are, are awesome. You know, you can, it's you know, it's a, I got yeah, every, yeah. every, every day I'm, I'm pulling it up <laughs> and I'm sending them these videos of all these pulse right in front of my, you know, I've got them on my clover plot, you know, plots and heck there's 30 turkeys in front of them. And then, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see deer. I had seven bucks right in my pond in my backyard yesterday morning when I got up, you know, wow. all wow. two and three year olds, but it's just good to see them. You good know, got lots, no lots doubt. of fawns. Uh, I will say that, uh, it's also a productivity issue with Kevin and our friendship because you're in the middle of things and bing, it's constant pulse and deer and bucks. And uh, so I think we need to cut him off on the Spartans at this point mm. until he can, you know, limit that, that distraction. <laughs> oh, it's the ultimate. It's a shared addiction. I bet it's hard to fish and check your cameras. Oh, oh yeah, terrible. I couldn't think about it. They got to turn that thing off so you can catch a fish. Well, that's what that, that, I mean, I bet he's got it rigged up where he's standing there fishing and it's showing up on his Big depth finder. No, that big, they got some big old screen there. <laughs> I bet he does. Yeah, I bet it does. I don't know why not. Well, you know, the thing about it, they'll be, it'll all be on his phone when he gets through anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah, on the podium. Yeah, you can look yep. at them on the podium. Well, can, can we just switch just a little bit, just for people listening, just kind of talk about the intensity of being a professional angler and the responsibilities. And it sounds to me like, you know, it's just you're so intense, you're so successful at what you do, and then hunting may be your, kind of your release, your way to get away and just relax a little bit. Yeah, it, it really is. I'm, I'm uh, pretty competitive uh, by nature and uh, you know that's what i i love about the the tournament fishing or what drew me to it in the beginning is just you know trying to obviously it's it catching them is fun but to me the thrill is in figuring out the puzzle and trying to do it better and faster than than the other guys on, on any given day mm-hmm. um out there while you know while you're competing to you know that to, to have a better day and uh you know over the years i've been really successful at it but uh, hunting has always been, you know, that's, that's my release. So, I mean, I love, you know, November just for that. I try to schedule time where I can, you know, hunt with my boys or, uh, you know, friends or whatever, just for that. So work my butt off all year to try to get a little bit of windows, but unfortunately in the industry we're in, you know, there's just, there's not a lot of downtime anymore. So it makes it harder and harder. Um, you know, I try to do a couple of trips a year, if I can, uh, we I have a lease in Kansas and I haven't even been there in three years. You oh. know, uh, just it just hadn't worked. I didn't get drawn this year, so don't get to go. But um, you know, last year I went on a Colorado mule deer hunt with a friend of mine. It was an awesome. That was an awesome experience. Um, I've got another friend that's got a, a unbelievable ranch in in South Texas. That's probably one of the most intensely managed places you could possibly go. You know, and uh, and it's amazing to to go there and see how they do things and see what you can apply, you know, up here. But I mean, they take it to another level, you know, Texas is, is pretty dang special like that. So being able to get away is, is, is good. But, um, you know, I love the tournaments, you know, once, you know, once the, uh, hunting season's over, man, I'm ready to get right back at it and get back out there on the water. We're all just sitting here. Yeah. It's just amazing. Such a cool story. It, it really is. Would you tell us a little bit about your sons and them growing up hunting? Yep. So, um, you know, I've got twin boys. They, um, they were born really premature. They were only, uh, they're really miracles in that sense. They were wow. only, uh, one nine and one eleven. Wow. Uh, they, they were 15 weeks early and, uh, just sway, you know, God intended it. Yeah. And, uh, but you wouldn't know it today. Um, you know, that, that they had such a, a tough start to begin with, but, 
you know, I got them into fishing at an early age, got them into the outdoors and they love to hunt uh, anything and everything. And just like most kids, you know, they wanted to shoot everything, you know, every deer that walked in, you want to shoot every, you know, that's, that's how they are. But uh, what's really, really rewarding to me now is to watch my boys come full circle. So uh, they're, they just turned 25 and they are to the point now where they are gamekeepers. So they do everything with me. I mean, they're, they do the work on the food plots. They, um, uh, you know, help with, you know, cutting down trees, cleaning trails, doing whatever, whatever we have to do. Uh, but more importantly, you know, running trail cameras and they, they understand, you know, I mean, i would always, told him, I said, you shoot whatever makes you happy. So, you know, that first buck was a big deal. First buck with a bow. Then, then, you know, your next one, you try to get a little bit bigger and then, you know, you start uh, trying to figure out age structure. And I took him to Texas at a, at a real early age, pretty early age. And that's what really opened their eyes there is to see how they manage down there by age structure and starting to look at the bodies of these deer and, and saying, Hey, if that's a two-year-old, that's a three-year-old. And now they're the same way here. So, I mean, they'll pass up like my son, Nicholas, about four years ago, he passed up a, a, a deer that was four years old at the time. It was our number one hit list deer. It was a 10 pointer that would probably would have been in the low one forties. And it was for us, it was, it was the best deer we had on the property. And uh, the second day of gun season, it walked right underneath him. He's got a gun in his hand and it had like three broken tines. And he just said, no, it's all busted up, dad. I'm just let him go. And then the following year, he killed that deer, complete full deer. And it was uh, 155 inches a year later. Wow. So, you know, (laughs) you know, that's right. That's, that's it. they've, you know, everybody makes mistakes and you get excited and it, you, you should never lose that thrill. I mean, no. if you don't no, get buck fever, but, but that's what it's all about right there is, yes. is trying to let, uh, you know, uh, the wildlife on your property reach its full potential. Yeah. That's what being a gamekeeper is all it about. Is exactly. You know, and, and Bobby, I'll add into that. I've had the pleasure of being around both those young boys, uh, in a family setting, eating dinner, sitting around, you know, and I will tell you, they're two of the finest young gentlemen you could ever meet. Uh, they're unique in their own way. They are just just uh, perfect examples of what you hope for your young boys or young girls to grow up to be. So, Kevin, kudos to you and Sherry for doing such an amazing job. I appreciate it. How about that? It's a, it's a challenge. <laughs> it's it's, it's just, so much fun, though. It's so interesting to me how, I mean, a lot of people can be – good at fishing but it's really hard to be great at it and you yeah, consistently well, over time, over consistently, time I mean, and you people have jump to, up and go away but that over that I, period of you time, have to be so analytical about everything you do and strategic and understand the currents and temperatures and colors and weather and it it's way more than hunting and so uh, i think you have a gift of being able to put some of that fishing gift into what you're doing on your farm uh, and just obsess over those kind of things. And uh, it, the it analytical show, it, part of it, it shows. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, experience, you know, you just like Toxie said, you learn from you making a lot of mistakes. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, um, you know, trial and error is, is a lot of it. And the main thing is, is, you know, once you figure something that doesn't work, is don't do the same thing over and over again. And fish, fishing is that same way, but it's also that way when you're managing your land and, and that, you know, you want to do what works and then, and then try to expand on it from there. So it's, I, I love it, man. That's uh, uh, I get up every day thinking about it. Um, I can't stand sitting in the office. My wife will tell you that she, you know, wears me out. I just, I like to be outdoors. I, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Um, I just, I just want to be out there. I'm always thinking about what's the next project might be. And uh, what someday when I retire, that's all I want to do is be on the tractor, be in the woods or be able to with a yeah. chainsaw or a trap or whatever it is. And, uh, it, you know, just getting ready for it. Hunting season's just a small part of it. The rest of the year is getting uh, ready for hunting season. That's right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I probably never, spend I've never more listened time to anybody that talk about this. It's more like exactly what's going through my brain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly how I am about all of that. And what I would point out, and we could go on and on about it, but for for um, when you listen to him and and think a little more deeply about it, is that yeah, he's 
arguably, maybe, you know, if Hank Parker's the one told me he's the best fisherman there was. That was 15 years ago. He said, probably going to be the best one who ever walked. But, you know, hey, it's fishing, and that's arguable. Um, who knows? But he's he's got such a level of excellence at all this stuff. But if you listen to Common Thread, more important behind all of it, obviously more than anything, he's a family guy, and that mm-hmm. matters more than any of this stuff. Um but he is not wasting time. Chris and I talk about time. All of us do. That's one of our yeah. big things here is you just only get so much time. So even if he's working his butt off somewhere, he is living life to the fullest. That's just such a great lesson beyond the fishing, beyond the success in business, beyond even the great gamekeeper he is and everything. is like the family guy and the way that he doesn't waste time. And when I say don't waste time, is like – you know, he's not throwing away time, getting the farm ready to shoot that big 150 or something. He's enjoying every step of the way and not just doing it. And the success is created because he's doing it to the fullest. He's competitive, yes. But, you know, I just hope everybody gets that part behind the scenes so you don't waste time either or you waste as little as possible and you're getting the most out of your time on earth and we of course just like him we think there's only one way to do that and that's connected to nature and being a gamekeeper mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and all the things that go with it especially when you can blend career passion what you love the most with you know that connection with nature yeah, like that it, they, they don't to me a fuller life does not exist personally that's just me yeah so hearing him talk about it such an inspiration to me, honestly, you know. Well, Kevin. I'll, I'll hush. I was going to save that for later, but I've just been wanting to say it for a while and especially listen to you today. And hopefully people will pick up more than everything else is like how he doesn't waste time. That's so important. Yeah, because it's not just about big deer and old deer. It's about the quality life. of life. You Living know, every, life. Yeah. Every, every yeah. aspect of it, it really Well, is. and he said it with his sons. Yeah. It, you know, he yes. told them whatever you like, whatever makes you happy. Mm-hmm. It's far, they're, they're hunting and enjoying each other. Yep. And that's yep. that's so important. A lot of people miss that. This, yep. this whole peer pressure thing can really get to you in hunting if you're not careful. Hey, to- you know, you mentioned it, Kevin, the, the trophy thing and having to live up to the trophy kind of took the fun out of it for you for a little while. Oh, yeah. You know? No, no doubt. And um, like I said, my boys brought that back around to where you, go. You, you see what's important. And it's, it's about – it's about, you know, I, I have taken a lot of kids and not just kids, but a lot of first timers, people, you know, people that are older, uh, that just have an interest in hunting. And, you know, we, we have a lot of does that we need to get shot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I take a lot of people on their very first hunt to kill their, you know, to, and have been with them to get their very first whitetail. And it's always going to be a doe, you know, you don't, you want to make that natural progression and, you know, to see the excitement and the thrill that somebody gets with that first opportunity, it's, 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 it's like a kid catching his first fish, you know, I mean, and it doesn't matter if they're, you're 50 years old and I've got friends that are, that are 50 years old before they ever hunted their first time. And now are, you know, very ate up with it. You know, it doesn't, it's everybody goes through that same progression. I just happened to do it at a very young age at a very different time nowadays with social media and, you know, with heck just having a smartphone, the, Hmm. the, um, the pressure or, you know, nobody wants to walk into a store and act like a dummy, right. Asking for help. So now you can, you can Google it and say, learn what a, what a, what a whitetail rub is, or, um, what, a how to play, you know, how to blow a duck call or a turkey call or how to set a dog proof coon trap. You know, the, the, um, there's not that, uh, stigma anymore, or, you know, be or feeling stupid to, to ask questions because people will do that. So I think, COVID's taught a lot of people how important it is to get back in the outdoors, yes. but it's also technology's helped a lot um, to, to relieve a little bit of that, uh, you know, entry pressure that people yeah, just wouldn't, yeah. I they wouldn't do. Because you had to have a mentor before all that. I mean, you had to have somebody, you had to have access, one thing, then you had to have somebody. Or, yeah. you know, so read a magazine. Yeah, read a magazine. That wasn't enough. No, yeah. no, you really did, so yeah. So, Kevin, I think I can speak for everybody down here that when the first time we saw you wearing the Mossy Oak fishing stuff, we just all were just so proud. Mm-hmm. And then to see you wearing the hunt, hunting and enjoying and wearing the camp, it's, it's just it's just it's amazing. And uh, we're, we're so proud the way you represent the sport, both the sports. So, I'm telling you, it's been 
15 or 20, I don't know how long ago it was. It was a long time. You'd already won the first big tournament. But as you know, we've been, and I have personally been friends with Hank a long time, and the first long time ago, I mean, it had to be early 2000s, we talked about a foray into the fishing with the Bossy Oak brand, and I was just contemplating, especially apparel and stuff. And he looked at me, right, I was in person, he said, look me, I said, he said, look, I'll help you any way I can. But he said, I'm just telling you, if you're going to go into the fishing world with the Mossy Oak brand, you got to go get Kevin Van Dam. And that's in the context of what I said to everybody. But he said, not just that he's the best fisherman there is right now, and I'm, I predict the best one that will go down in, in, in you know history, but he's just like y'all. And he is so much like y'all, it's scary. And go find a way to bring him on board, and then I'll help all I can. But he's your guy. He told me that 20 years ago, Kevin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a prophet he was. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, it's it's pretty mutual for me. You know, I've worked for 32 years as a professional angler. I've worked with a lot of companies. And most of the companies that I've worked with, I can say that I've had really long relationships. And a lot of them, that that full uh, that full time Johnny Morris Bass Pro Shops. I've you know been there from day one, right? Uh, Strike King Lure Company. And what I can tell you about the most successful companies, people, brands is it's it's about the people, mm -hmm. right? And it, and it typically starts at the top. So there's something to be said there. But it is uh, you know uh, it's a pleasure to work with everybody because top to bottom at Mossy Oak, you can just tell it's different. It's not like some of these other corporate structured companies, people, uh, you know, that, you know, it's just, it's just different and it's very easy and noticeable. So, um, I've, I've only got a couple companies that I work with that are like that. And that's the ones that it, it's not, it's not about business. It's you want to be where you want to be with the best, right. Mm -hmm. And you want to be with the best Absolutely. people. And, you know, Mossy Oak is way more than a camo company, you know? Yeah. Obviously camo pattern is, is critical, but it's, you know, biologic and native nurseries and gamekeepers and kennels. And, you know, it's just, it's goes on and on and on and all your partnerships with um, conservation organizations, you know, and, and just understanding that, Hey, it's not about making a dollar today. It's about ensuring that our kids have better opportunities in the future and that, you know, we leave the woods and the waters better than, than we found it, you know, and that, our grandkids can have the chance to go catch a five pound smallmouth and have a chance for a limited ducks and be able to hear a turkey gobble. You know, I mean, that's why we do it. Right. That's right. And Time. Uh, that's the rewarding part for me uh, of being the person that I am and why, I, why I have the land that I have and spend the time that we do out there because it's just, I just, I just have a passion for the outdoors. I just can't, you know, we've evolved all these years, Kevin. I can't think of a, a greater gift. I mean, first of all, having a servant spirit about how we go about the stuff and being grateful all the time. You know, it's so easy for people to get kind of caught up in their own self and they lose their sense of gratitude. You know, Daniel said that time, your your sense of wonderment you have as a kid. Kevin almost read from that script too about how you got to keep that alive and stuff. But when you can help people get the most out of their time, and not only that, but point them to that connection with the outdoors and doing, getting the most out of their time. I'm not sure a lot of the stuff we do in the businesses we've got, gotten into weren't just necessarily about how big can we make it or necessarily how much money could it make or whatever. It's more about doing that to preserve the fact we can do it. Chris and I talk about it too all the time. For the next generation and the next, yeah, what are we doing to make sure Mossy Oak's around you know, 50 years from now? But helping people get the most out of their life. You know, that's, that's, I just, it's hard to put in words how rewarding that is. So much of what we've talked about today is doing that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and helping point people to that. So talking about Hank, I reached out to Hank a couple nights ago, asking him to help me with a, <clears throat> a trivia question for right. Kevin. Oh, good. And he, oh, and this he, could be tricky. He, he basically came back and said, I don't think you're going to be able to fool him so, with, a, with a question. So we do have one. Kevin, if you've got if you've got a set, we, Max, so you're already blaming us on Hank. Now we're playing, are we playing for a reviewer? Yeah. So Mike, tell us tell us uh, who were we playing? Who's Kevin week? playing? For? I hope this is a 
Yes, yeah, so we're, uh, we're we're all playing for Maverick Hessen, who left us a good review on uh, on Apple Podcasts, and the win uh, the prize will be a Stormy Cromer Gamekeeper hat. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's a so, Bobby Cole special right there. Do you think? <laughs> oh, I like that. Do you think his mother named him Maverick? Maybe she was in the Top Gun. Yeah. Well, there's a Maverick from around here. Yeah. Yeah, but you Mav. Think, yeah. Okay. Do you think your mom named you William? <laughs> uh, we're getting off here. Y'all okay. yeah, are regressing. Right. Right. So, Mark that time coverage. Yeah, but, <laughs> All right, so this is, a, this is a pretty easy one. I think you're going to knock this one out of the park. So old-timers used to refer to largemouth bass as what? Mm, I think I know this. Oh. <laughs> That might be a southern. Now, Kevin, this kind of yeah, thing. And, and that's it's what Hank thing, and I yeah. kind of hung on to this because it kind of is a southern thing. Yep. But then Hank said, hey, "He's pretty well traveled." So. I think about old Buzz. It's, it's, when if we it's talk what about I think things. it is, it's very well traveled. Yes. I, well, I, I'm going to say bucket mouth. Yeah. Well, you know that's uh, well, that's one for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, ring that's, the bell. <laughs> but that's not the one we were well, looking for. Well, they wired me. Ring the bell. Okay. You didn't ask for the one you're thinking about. Right. You're asking for the one. Yeah, okay. Well, let's keep it going, though. Can you think of another it. one? No. Don't say it. See, up north, we call them bucket mouth, Bobby. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we call them that down here as well. So, so I'll give you a clue. Uh, green yeah. blank. Green the, trout? That's it. That's it. That's it. That's a way south like. That's a really, really old time. When I was a kid, some of the people did, but they were from Mobile, Alabama, and down on the coast. They would say, we're going green trout fishing. Yeah, they would. Well, but they grew up with speckled trout and sea trout, and so they just called them green trout. I thought that's what they were, too, when y'all asked the question, like, what was it? A black? How many species of black bass there are? I would venture to say green. 75% of the listeners would have said bucket mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, he got it. So Maverick, Maverick wins. Maverick, you won, so get in touch get with Get that Stormy Chrome hat, go fishing it. Yeah. So, <laughs> at, at this point, we always kind of look around and say, what, is Chris Paradise falling asleep over there? Did, no, did, he's did, not. Okay. I'm not. I'm wide awake. Okay. So, we always say, what did we learn? And I think if a guy paid attention, you can learn a lot from Kevin just by the way he lives his life mm-hmm. and the intensity that he goes about whatever he's doing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. Dudley, did you pick up on anything? Well, I, I, I think I mentioned it earlier. He's, you know, he's obviously, well, one of the best fishermen in the world. And he's taken that analytical approach to, you know, winning uh, and, and doing that on his farm and, and helping other people do it. So yeah, that's good. My, what, so Kevin, we've got. I failed to introduce Mac Thatcher's over here. He's kind of fact checking us, but we didn't really feel like we had to fact check you uh, on any any of this stuff. So, no. but he's got a question. Oh no, I don't have a question. But it's I guess what I took away <clears throat> from today and and being a. A young father of two kids and, and kind of seeing what everybody in this room and, and with you, Kevin and, and Chris, uh, kind of the values you have with your kids and, and how you raise your kids. That's probably my biggest takeaway is really just to having good role models for me to follow as a dad, but also uh, for my kids to know that they'll they'll have role models with y'all's children, you know, growing mm-hmm. up. And then that's, that's kind of my positive takeaway for today. Lanny, that's hard to. You beat. got anything? Yeah, I, you know, kudos to, to what you do and representing the brand. I did have a little bit of a gamekeeper question. Is yeah, it too well, late to throw no, that? No, let's go ahead. Never. Yeah, this this patchwork you're talking about because I've heard you talk about the place being kind of a small acreage and patchwork. How big are those hinge cutting areas you're putting in there? Uh, just a couple acres. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I tend to think of them as, you know, it's too big for me to do, but anybody, no. could, anybody could do it. No, no, no. Yeah, and I, I don't think he's just doing hinge cutting. He's he's doing little mini clear cuts. He mentioned it as being like, uh, you What's know, you almost say? like you would picture a necklace, you know. Yeah, like, that's the way. Yep. And you know, that was a real yeah. little good point for me to see, you know, mm-hmm. like we're talking about the patch. An, an, acre, an acre is a good size. You know, a, a big one is a couple acres. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Yeah. Toxie, you got anything? No, I kind of said everything already. Yeah. Like you said it all. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, it's way beyond business to know that somebody as influential as him, you can't get what he's all about out there too much. Yeah. Because 
there's so much more of a positive influence that, that our whole world needs right now about this, you know, and living your life outdoors and, you know, tucking your family under your wing to do it like that. You just, that's, um, like I, I had the little you speech to the up, Turkey Kevin. Federation. Yeah, Kevin, it's like, you know, someone of his notoriety can make a difference with a lot of people, but as as a collective, everybody who has the great outdoors in their heart, if we can all be a good example, everybody can be an example, we can make a huge difference because this, this is a rough world we live in. I was mm, looking sure. at the news while Don't I grabbed some that, lunch yeah. at the house a second ago with Diane, and it's crazy what's going on out there today, and just people are just – it's so messed up and so so selfish and so whatever. And we all know it is, but, man, what a, uh antibiotic or whatever a cure for all that is to, to be, not only to be outdoors, but to live your life that way and then take your family and your friends and live that life outdoors. It It is so important that people pay attention to that today because I feel like when they're severed from it and they don't understand it and don't have anything to do with it, there's it actually leads to, you know, whatever disabilities or problems with their life. So I don't know. There's just, I know that we've got a lot more to offer the world today than just the deer and the fishing and the game keeping and all the things we do. If people would just embrace it. And he did make an, uh, a, he's seen it too. He made a mention of that. The COVID has turned more people to hunting and fishing than probably in my lifetime. And uh, that's a good thing. You know, we just need no, more and no more doubt. out. Yeah. 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 Hey, Chris, have you got anything you want to add? You know, I just add that for so long, we've all talked about this. You know, we, we never really did anything but support our brand. And, and, you know, having people be the face of the brand has never been, I would say, a, a fundamental core property of what we did. It's been about the brand. But when you have someone like Kevin, uh, and we talk about people like Kevin and Hank and others and the juries, you know, we've, we've got a, a lineup of people that truly have the character yes. uh, that you, you hope and pray for. That's the word. Because that builds the character of the company. And, yep. and I, I go back to, you know, a, a good example is a lot of times when I'm going to Kevin's, I'm getting in late. If I'm not coming from a ball game, I'm finishing up work. And by the time I get there, and and it's it's about the character of Kevin, his family, Sherry. Uh, I roll in late. I get a text. Hey, there's chocolate chip cookies on the on the counter for you before you go to bed and cold milk in the fridge. I mean, they're the type of people that, you know, when you think about someone representing the Mossy Oak brand, they're exactly what you hope you could have. And and so for me, it's simple. He, he's just uh, a good friend, but somebody that does nothing but uh, shed light on just the power of our brand and how much it means to so many people. Mm. It's been a lot said, Kevin, you got anything you want to say before we let you go? Man, it's been an honor to do it. Um, Let's not make it so long till we uh, we do it again. That'd Absolutely. be awesome. Yeah, really. Sure. Absolutely. Yep. It's that time of year. We can see the end is in sight. I hate the summer, but we get some work done. Man, it's time to get out but there and the, do it right the, now. Yeah, the emotional New Year down here. <laughs> the emotional New Year down in the South is that Labor Day weekend and yeah. dove season. Yeah. And so it's not long now. That kicks it off. It's yes, coming. it does. Well, That's Kevin, right. we've been thrilled to have you as a guest. Yeah. Thanks we've been thrilled here. to have you as a brother. I can That's tell you right. that right now. <laughs> Love to be yeah. part of the family, man. Yes, Thank sir. you, guys. Yeah. Thank that, you. That sounds good. Well, guys, I don't know. I, uh, is, is there anything else we need to cover? We did, we asking Dudley anything today? Oh, I forgot all about that. Look at you. Yeah, Dudley, you got a question? I do, and and uh, it was somebody named Andrew who emailed me this morning. Oh, nice. Said, oh, this, Hot off the press. Is, yeah. Fresh. This um, is, yeah. I didn't even have time to transfer it to Mac. Uh, it was kind of uh, – had a lot of words, and I'm, I'm going to – make it concise with i'm not very good at but uh, <laughs> so uh this is andrew baxter he's from bessemer city north carolina um and he's got some non-typical clover oh. on his property mm. uh, big fan of it and uh really uh wanted to know he's got an old drill and it's not a no-till drill uh, it's just an older grain drill yeah but they're you know they're pretty heavy um he was you know, listening to the podcast and reading about some of what we refer to as as poor man's no-till or mm -hmm. throwing mow, and uh, he wants to add some diversity to his non-typical clover field. Um, and it's four, five, six years old. He's top dressed it a couple of times and and done some weed control. But uh, so 
he wants to know if he can punch some wheat or oats or maybe some radishes in there With at clover. the right time yeah. in the clover. And uh, I know people that have done that, but I, I wanted to get a second opinion. So uh, I texted my buddy Austin Delano. Oh, Austin. And uh, he said, absolutely. You know, some of these soils that have, you know, a lot of chert or, you know, rock, uh, that's probably not going to work. And some of these really heavy clay soils that dry down really hard, it's not going to work. But if you've got anything sandy loamy, silty loamy, uh, that time of the year, your clover is more or less in a dormant state uh, if it's if it's been an average dry summer. Um, and so... Yeah, put some seed in the hopper and uh, punch it through. He was worried about it damaging the clover. But I, I think it's okay at that time of year to damage it in strips that are, you know, eight inches apart or so. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he might want to just not drill very deep. Sure. Most of them and, are seven and a half inches apart. So, yeah. And ghosts, I've learned you if you go a little a slower, inch. it doesn't do as much damage right. either. Yeah. So you're just barely punching that seed in the right. ground yeah. uh, i would say if you're just mixing it in bulk and a drill to go a little bit heavier on the cereal grains mm-hmm. or maybe maybe even just use a blend like green patch plus or something mm-hmm. but you could get some final forage and add some wheat something like that sure and i mean and, uh, drill some brassicas in it right just test if you're worried about it on your own place i mean i certainly think you can too but you know, depending on the size of the field, just do half of it and see right. how it comes out. And you'll learn for – just like Kevin learned all the stuff on his place by testing and doing things over the years and trying different stuff. Right. I would suggest they test it because I, there's no doubt in my mind, and I'm not looking at his clover, that should work great. And honestly, they, they won't have to worry about nitrogen. Right. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. You know, you got your nitrogen right there. So, so quick start. give it a shot. I mean, you've got Send a drill. Some pictures. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Austin verified that it's entirely possible Absolutely. because he does it himself. Right. Yes. Um, so. so a little add-on. What's the difference in a grain drill and a no-till drill? Well, a no-till drill has a uh, – most of them have what's called a coulter. Right. Yep. In, in, in front of the little, you know, the, the wheels that mm-hmm. are supposed yeah. to park the soil. It's almost like a little drop. disking going on. Not exactly, but a little bit of disking before you're – blade gets there oh and the drill just drills mm-hmm. it without the you've seen the little wheel with the little weight yeah, like yeah. yeah okay, okay that's okay. a no-till coulter yeah. and they make them in different sizes and configurations for and a grain deal drill lacks that part right so normally you you've prepared a seed bed and mm-hmm. you use right, that grain right. drill <clears throat> but if it's a soft enough soil and there's not a lot of thick vegetation that's right it you can it absolutely right function as a no-till gotcha. but again he talked about rocks or heavy heavy clay that's dried out mm-hmm. probably won't yeah work. it's a there's no-go just, in that scenario yeah. i would just recommend uh, partitioning your field into thirds or fourths and right. having different crops that way you've always you know, two-thirds of the field always has something green right. on it. That you don't want to give those more. animals a reason to leave. Yeah. So, anyway, I hope that helps, Andrew. Uh, thanks for the question. Yeah. Oh, Thank impressed. you, Mr. Yeah. Know-it-all. That, that was a good question. So, guys, uh, the, 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 it's TV season now, so on Tuesday night, set your DVR, and uh, you can go to the Outdoor Channel, get the Gamekeepers Television Show. It's hitting – it's at 8 Central, Lanny. It, when is that on Eastern? It, it, that's 9 okay, Eastern time. Okay. And then I think Seven on Mountain. Hulu <laughs> and uh, Roku and some other places you can you can uh, watch the Outdoor Channel as We're well. We're on the internet now? I think, uh, well, Woo! I think the Outdoor Channel Look out, boys. Is, so. <laughs> All right, Kevin, we had so much fun with you. Thank you for your patience and, and being there. Chris, You're hopefully you're there. Travel safe on your vacation. Enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, have fun. And, uh, Guys, uh, we appreciate y'all listening to our podcast, and uh, we'll be back next week. So why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast, and be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine, and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.